0: Bring out today. Bring out today. Bring out today. Bring out today. Bring out (speaking業界) today.
1: Bring out today. Bring out out today. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Here. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't. Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go on the car. Oh, Double's such a job baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do it us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. No, I've got to go to the Robinson's. They've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. You think I'll go for a walk? You're not fooling anyone, you know. Look, there's no something you can do?
2: I feel happy. I feel happy.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks very much.
2: Not
3: It's a little bit more than a flesh wound here on the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and this week I am drinking Crown Royal Reserve, which is the fancy Canadian whiskey, I'm led to believe. Also a little bit of a dessert whiskey, I'm getting uh, a very smooth finish, but very, very prominent notes of cinnamon and vanilla. Very vanilla performances to discuss in the show, but we'll start with my full bevy of co-hosts out in Ohio, it's Evan Skilleter. Evan, what are you drinking?
2: Well, Jeffrey, a future full of possibilities starts by drinking pure quality water. So I'm drinking Nestle Pure Life Purified Water Enhanced with Minerals
3: for Taste. We should say it is a it's about late, as, late night it's about on as, the Owls and
2: uh, Yeah, about as bland as uh, the performance I watched today
3: triple the American flavor this week as we also have Luke Andrews-Hacken. Luke, what are you drinking?
0: I am drinking uh, Whole Foods finest coconut water from the finest fridge in uh, <laughs> in my apartment.
3: I was actually at my one of my locals. I have like three or four locals at this point um, for a beer and a burger recently and uh, the woman next to me ordered coconut water. I asked if they had coconut water. They did not.
0: That... That seems terrifying.
3: We're joined by two of our expats. First up, still in New York somehow, it's James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Good evening, Jeffrey. Um, I'm drinking uh, another Evil Twin beer. Um,
1: I think Evil Twin is becoming the uh, the greatest pseudonym for, uh, for Wednesday, right? We have one uh, one decent performance, half-decent performance, immediately has to be followed by a bloody awful one. Um, this one's an Imperial Stout, which is befitting of the late hour of recording tonight, and it's it's called I Love You With My my Stout.
3: So um, I guess despite our evilness, I still love them. I like that the good performance this week was a 4-2 loss at home to Villa, but we'll get to that in a moment. Before we do, I do have to introduce our fifth co-host, the Full House this week, Paulo And Paul, what are you drinking?
4: All right, chaps. I'm on... Um... Sticking with still water, I think it's my uh, kind of brewery of choice this uh, last few months. Um, Really enjoying the extra dry sake style saison ale, which is a beautiful blend of very light lager and um, has a kind of a distinct dry sake flavor to it.
3: It's very nice. So let's get right into it. We will discuss the Villa and Swansea games. We have a very long series of dispatches from American Soccer and two more games to preview. The league marches on, as it always does with Wednesday out of the FA Cup. But for now, we'll rewind back to Saturday and the Villa game. And I was on the socials, I was not feeling optimistic but paul that was about as good of a first half as we've seen from the team in a while
4: it was wasn't it it was it was it was almost exciting i was trying to think of a word and i um, a word to describe it and, it's and i'll sensational use sensational but... here in the uh, agenda oh. <laughs> no i've i've got a better word you know what my word is i'm going to use it as, uh, cautiously because i'm not even sure it's grammatically correct but i thought we were irresistible I think I've heard people say that before about a football performance. Sure. Um, you know, I think we were irresistible. I think it was loose and end-to-end stuff at times. I'm not saying it was particularly pretty either, but uh, once we got the ball down, I think uh, I think we were quality. Uh, some highlights for me were um, playing some lovely stuff from midfield. I thought Joey P and uh, obviously Sean Clare um, were on fire, bursting from the midfield. Very refreshing to see some pace, some direct attacking. And some balls, right? It looked like we had some balls and some fight for the game. I think, you know, I think all of our forwards were good. I think even Hunt was on fire, wasn't he? I mean, uh, early on, he had a wonderful cross that that Reach just kind of put wide off his head, but he was on fire too, cutting in. Uh, he had a lovely shot as well, outside of his right foot, could have gone in. Um, and I think... Um, Again, the, I've written in my notes here, Irresistible was uh, with he uh, almost looked like uh, that Mr. Chumley Warner sketch from Harry Enfield years ago when uh, they, they glued <laughs> the ball ball to his boot. It's, <laughs> it's literally quite
3: the reference.
4: <laughs> ghosting past everybody with the ball almost glued to his boot. Um, irresistible. Um, Sean Flair on fire. Irresistible. Everyone, irresistible. Big Dave chesting down. For his um, first goal for Wednesday uh, for Claire. irresistible. I reckon I, we could have been about 7-0 up, I counted all the chances. Um, we, we could have had a half full. But we are Sheffield Wednesday, aren't we? So that didn't quite work out, but it was a wonderful first half while it
3: lasted. We're all Wednesday, aren't we? As both a threat and a promise sometimes. <laughs> We should say a special note to Sean Clare, Luke, because he was, I thought, absolutely fantastic. My man of the match, oh, as yeah. much as you can say in a 4-2 loss.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. Head head and shoulders, like, one of the most exciting players we, we've seen for a while. I mean, he he just had, I mean, he just had a, a home debut that, I mean, I think it was his day home debut, but, like, he, he played out of his skin. He looked like he was everywhere and doing everything, all action, all the time. Took his goal well, you know. Defended well out of the back.
3: Almost uh, had a second.
0: Almost had a second. Um, yeah, he looked, you know, all the part of twenty-one-year-old player. And and like to think that, you know, he could get better. That's that's a that's a comforting thought.
3: I mean, it's really just something that the squad has lacked all year, and certainly I think was put into stark relief by the Swansea game. When we come onto that. It's just. He was an actual outlet, um mm-hmm. when Villa wanted to press and when they wanted to play out of the back. He was he's strong, he's big, he's pacey. You know, he's fairly confident with the ball at his feet, he's decisive. Like it it's he's raw. Like it's not a it's it's far from a finished product, but you can see the like he looks the part of a high level championship player already. Like it's it's in there. It may not you may not see it every game. It's still gonna be I think a bit of a a learning experience for him but i am you know wallace's knee injury has probably opened the door more fully for him for the rest of the year but i think you know even a, a fit wallace would not be keeping him out of the squad at this point james i call me completely by surprise jeff um
1: <laughs> i think a fit wallace would struggle to keep anybody slightly fitter out of the uh, out of the squad right now because really he hasn't had the greatest of seasons has he no i mean look i mean in a season of downs it's great to have a real positive story where we're excited for the future and I think everything that we've all said is is spot on um, you know Sean Claire's done his hard yards out on loan and he's, he's come back and he's really shown that he can do it in the championship and um, you know it's, it's kind of, we'll come on to the Swansea game in a minute but I think you see the differences between the games where he plays where we have those legs in midfield you know as Paul said picking the ball up off the defence and really kind of driving the team forward with pace and with energy and with flair um and the games that we don't and it's just so so obvious the uh you know the, what we're missing now and and what we lost with with Wallace's loss of Turner pace this year um so yeah i think he's he's a great prospect for the future we've just got a little matter of a contract to uh, to bed down as we go into the summer
4: it's kind of interesting seeing uh, him play isn't it it, it suddenly reminds you of uh, what it's like when we've got lee you know, making those runs from midfield, or when we've got Hooper sort of linking play from that midfield, you know, burst. Uh, without those players, uh, we've been, sadly, uh, we've been missing, haven't we? So uh, what I what I thought was great was, was once Claire's making those runs and we're linking, then Boyd feels confident to go on the outside. Re- Reach has got, you know, space to play. Zhao feels more confident. They've got that support, so... You know, if that's what if that's what we're going to get back, um, you know, I'm I'm excited again. I think we've got some uh, some good days ahead of us once more.
3: And Jao was to uh, beat this to death, Evan. Irresistible in the first half himself.
2: Yeah, he absolutely was. And uh, you know, after that second goal, it was fun to see him put his thumb back in his mouth. It was (laughs) that that confident Jao that we saw um, quite some time ago. So. It was a it was a fun first half. We could have had four goals, yeah. Um but man I I, I know we're going to get into the referee soon. At least I imagine we will, but I uh I hate criticizing referees, but that was a tough, tough referee performance to swallow.
3: Yeah, and I'm the same way and I did actually mention on the social because you know, the referee like yeah there's gonna be soft calls that don't go your way here and there. It's just this the nature of the game and you know grousing about referees is an you know an English national pastime and certainly an American one as well. but man, it just seems after uh, good old Stevie Bruce called him over for a little chat that the tide turned fairly quickly.
2: It did, and I'm always a proponent of of playing through the ref. You know, ref makes a bad call, keep playing. You have to keep playing. And, and, you know, our our defending was suspect, to be honest with you. So, you know, perhaps if uh, we would have tightened up in the back, yeah, maybe we didn't get a few calls. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I always believe that that we can beat the ref if the ref is against us or if it seems like the ref's against us. And um, it just seemed – such a difficult task to do so on saturday i mean the 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 terry foul or he i I think it's a red card i don't think i i don't think there's a doubt in my mind that it's a red card at this moment um and and it just it just seemed like everything was against us
3: i for one am shocked that john terry got away with a little bit of bullshit on the field never happens
1: didn't go away with everything though did he so he might
3: have got away with that red
1: card, but he did not get away with being absolutely steamrolled by Big Dave. I think it was, uh, might have been early in the, in the second half or Wednesday was still in the ascendancy, but there was there was kind of a 50-50 challenge where Dave just basically sat on him, pushed him into the earth, and then ground him into that Deso pitch at Hillsborough, right in front of Steve Bruce as well. It was a beautiful moment. Uh, unfortunately, it precipitated our downfall. But, um, you know, I suppose you, you win some, you lose some. You don't get a red card against him on halfway, but at least we got to knock him down
3: and as much as we'd like to blame the officiating for that second half james the defending was suspect as well again yeah
1: evan stole my thunder i i i kind of um i think i was the bore on social i'm the bore on social media most weekends let's be (laughs) honest but i was i was a real bore on social media this weekend because while wednesday fan base were you know basically Screaming blue murder about the state of refereeing in the championship and the the conspiracy theory that was very clear that Steve Bruce was having a love in with the uh, the man in purple um, this weekend. The refereeing decisions were curious. Um, the the rub of the green definitely didn't go our way, and and the game is is. I think statistically an outlier. I saw somewhere that Wednesday had only 6% of the fouls given in that game, which is uh, by about a 10% margin different to every single other game that's been played in the championship this season. So definitely a poor refereeing performance. But let's be clear, Wednesday's defensive performance was appalling. So if you if you take the trouble to go back and watch each of the four goals we conceded, there is a dereliction of duty all over the park. So if we were irresistible going forward, we were incontinent at the back, as we have been all season. Um and it, it costs us, quite frankly, because, you know, you, you look at that first goal, the you know question on the free kick, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the ball that goes in, yeah. uh, as so many loose balls that have gone into the box this season, just isn't met with the first ball. You know, John Terry has all the time in the world to put the first header in. Uh, it's parried. But, you know, quite frankly, our defence is still sleepwalking when I think three Villa players follow it up and eventually Lewis grab him, uh, bundles it in. For the equaliser, when Glenn Whelan... Um, you know, scores, uh, and I thought he was very classy in the way in which he responded after scoring the ball in from Snodgrass. Snoggras's is class. Um, you know, again, regardless of what you think about um, Robert Snodgrass and his performance on Saturday, the the way he whipped that ball back in, in in you know, in, in the flow of real play, was was a beautiful um, delivery. I'm afraid Sean Clare, who we've just been covering in glory, didn't cover himself in glory in terms of the way he was tracking wheeling. He lost I mean, him. should he really uh, be he the person bullied.
3: marking him at that point, though? He's a prob- prob- right probably midfielder. Probably not,
1: no. But, it, again, it comes back to the, the quality of our central defenders and, and the organization in the box that when a delivery goes in, we're at sixes and sevens. And we saw that against Millwall. We saw it against again against Villa. Um, and the same thing is true for the third goal. You know, I think George Boyd is the one who's kind of at fault, really, for kind of ball watching and not closing his man down quickly enough. Um, and obviously Conor um was the one who exploited that for the, for the what should have been the winner, really, because the the penalty at the end was was kind of the game had gone by that point. But again, if you, if you want to point fingers, you know that, Padil's challenge and Padil we've been talking about for the last few weeks has been sensational in terms of his organisation and and really delivering a, a more grown up performance in the back three. He just loses his mind and body checks um, Snodgrass in the area and it's a it's a blatant penalty. So the simple message is this we cannot defend the way that we are doing and expect to get results in the championship because teams will punish us. Teams like Villa will definitely punish us with their attacking prowess, but it turns out teams like Millwall punish us and teams like Burton punish us. Um, and we, we seem to have a consistent best part of two clangers a game in us, which is putting enormous pressure on a misfiring forward line that hasn't got you know, a huge amount of support from the, uh, the walking wounded of our midfield. So, you know, that's the reality of our season. Uh, until we tighten up at the back and until we deal with some of these silly mistakes, we're
3: going to be in trouble all the way from here until uh, until May. I mean, this is what Josh was supposed to come in and fix, right? You know, protect that 2-1 lead for 45 minutes, well-organized and well-drilled at the back, and it really hasn't shown up the last few games.
1: We had that brief flash, didn't we, where he seemed to have kind of got it to the point of playing six people at the back against <laughs> Middlesbrough and, uh, and hoping for the hoping for the rub of the green but no I mean you know defensive discipline is the bedrock of any good side and um at the moment we seem to have lost that again um you know and the difficulty is is, is the lack of leaders at the back you know I think we we all accept that Valencia is is still a bit green um doesn't appear to be the guy to to kind of fuse them uh Glenn is not so much green as grey, and uh, has lost a yard of pace. So you know he's he's not the obvious guy anymore. Um, Padil's been putting in a shift, but he you know he's got a mistake in him as well. What what we're just lacking is is a really solid back three, back five that can grind out results. And and you know you don't the old saying is you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Well, we, I don't think we quite realise what we had last season, where we were grinding out those results, where we could sit back on a one 0 lead and, and get the three points. There's, there's very little prospect of that with Wednesday at the moment, which means that we've got to we've got to create much more going forward, and we've got to be more dynamic. And and the upside on Saturday was that's exactly what we did with Villa, and maybe a lesser team would have got away with it, but they've got quality in their ranks, and they made us
3: uh, made us pay. Well, if you want offensive dynamism, folks, we come onto the Swansea game. <laughs> Paul, you're gonna sit this one out because you're still not doing the cup.
4: Yeah, yeah, I uh, I don't do, I don't do the cup this season. Sorry, you might have made uh, a right decision. Finish, so. uh, yeah I, yeah, I, guys. But that said, I did pop down to a Football Factory. I showed up at ninety minutes because I was at work, but um, I did come down for a few pints. So, you know, I was still there with the, with the lads.
3: We do have.
1: Uh... Yeah,
2: yeah, guys. I, I don't, I don't do the cup either, by the way. So, leave me out of this one as well.
1: You, and you completely failed to come down for a pint as well, Evan. Yeah, um, yeah, it was, was I noticeable. Did,
2: didn't make it a thousand miles to Football Factory uh, just because I don't do the cup. That's so, uh, yeah, poor form. After today, I just uh, decided uh, no,
1: not not doing it. And, and, and incidentally, Paul, it's you know, it's two thousand and frickin' eighteen. It was the lads and the lasses down at the Football Factory just to be absolutely sorry.
4: Clear. Sorry, I said that in front of uh, B as well. The entire to apologise. <laughs> um, I said that. All right, lads. Oh
1: dear. And then apologise to be. So yeah. If Sorry. you say folks, does that you know, or guys, is that is that kind of you know? you can get away with faces. folks,
3: but you can't get away with guys.
4: Yeah, I get pulled up at work for saying guys. I mean guys, like like I'm trying to be a cool bloke in an American crap. Is blokes hey guys, uh, gender specific?
3: It. I guess it probably blokes, is, blokes isn't is it? is very gender blokes specific.
4: Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's like Australian, isn't it? Bloke, you yeah, bloke, you yeah, flaming liar. That's well, an Australian accent.
3: One of our blokes on this podcast actually was a little optimistic coming out of the game. Luke? No,
0: no. I, I was being very, very, very sarcastic. Oh, were you? <laughs> I think Chase oh, was yeah. on the
3: agenda, assuming you weren't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I, like, I, I can't... Yeah, I... A couple of things could have gone differently. We might be talking about a different game. I thought... Uh, I think it was... Joao had a had a good shot first half that you know that goes in that goes under the keeper. we they didn't look like they were up to much. So in in a game that could have gone either way, like we wind up losing two nil to a Premier League side at their home on a cold Tuesday night. In like, Wales, uh, in Wales, yeah. I mean you know if for for a meaningless game that wasn't quite so meaningless uh, okay yeah it wasn't great but it could have been a lot worse
1: you know this is the last time and i mean this luke very very forcibly this is the last time that i trust your optimism that's (laughs) twice that's twice this has happened now the first time that this happened Luke, luke accompanied me all the way to wembley for the playoff final Oh we, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we had our seats just slightly apart from each other, so we couldn't sit together for, during the game. But at halftime, we met up together. We had a pint, and I was uh, I was a little pessimistic about the way we performed in the first half. I didn't, didn't think we were we were quite at the races. And Luke turned to me and he goes, "You know what? This has been really even. You know, Wednesday are right there. It's just you know, it's it's just there waiting for us. We just gotta we've just gotta capitalise. It's gonna happen. Forty five minutes time, we're gonna be in the Premier League." And I, I got excited. I had an extra pint of whatever the. Turgid ale was that Wembley was selling, and I went back to my seat reinvigorated. And we all know how that worked out. And then today, I, think, I come away from that drab, cold affair in Swansea, and Luke says, "You know what? It was all right." So I give him the platform, I give him the chance to celebrate what was good about Wednesday, and he comes out with that answer. Hmm. Oh dear!
0: I it's it's the way I watch football. I'm always I'm always uh, very emotionally invested in the game while it's happening, and then and then immediately. The emotion breaks and you can be like, oh, OK, that was just a thing that I watched. And then and then it's only later when you think about what it actually means in the wider context of the season that uh, that the pessimism sets back in.
1: So my and, and there, and therein lies the problem, Luke, because that then sets me up for a fall because now I've got to be the negative one again. Um, and the trouble is, I'm not I'm not actually that negative. Well, actually, I'm pretty negative about Wednesday at the moment, but I'm not negative about Wednesday generally. But yeah, I mean, tonight was a pretty damn depressing affair, wasn't it? You know, um, however you cut it, we we just we didn't really show up. Um, we seem to have we, you know, we were joking about evil twin earlier on. We definitely have a Jekyll and Hyde character. You know, all of that flair and abandon and kind of positivity that we saw first half against Villa going forward. If you if you just take a little bit of the pace at the centre, as soon as you take away Claire and, and as soon as you take out Pessy, as it turns out. Um, and go back to the Jones Butterfield axis. We we just basically grind to a halt. I mean, um, just the whole game today seemed to be being, being played in slow motion, and and we were getting bypassed. The, the team just didn't seem to have energy, and I, I I was kind of left at the end of the game just playing second string players. I know they're not the the team we thought we were going to be seeing this season. I know we've got some horrendous injuries, and and. Although Mark Lawrenson, allegedly on the BBC commentary, didn't quite recognise that much to the ire of, uh, of at least five people in Sheffield. Um, where is the excuse for our team being as slow and as unfit as we are, even our second string 11? Because we just didn't look like we got in, in, in us to be athletes today. Uh, you know, with the notable exception of Reach, who keeps on running Uh, ridiculous amounts it it, it was just so depressing to watch tonight and and what a missed opportunity regardless of how you look at it Swansea weren't that good and moreover we were on national television in the UK and national television in the US what a chance for us to kind of put up a spirited performance and get a few people interested in brand Wednesday before next season and we, we just missed it as far as I know, the biggest highlight is that Bob Mortimer, uh, famed of uh, Reeves and Mortimer comedy fame in the UK, if, uh, if our American listeners aren't uh, familiar with uh, Shooting Stars and and Reeves and Mortimer, which by the way you should be, um, s- noted out on a tweet that uh, Joseluque has the largest filtrum in football. Um, so there
3: you go. That was the highlight of today's match. I mean, the I actual really highlight was the uh, Fox Sports commentary team gushing over Tango in the stands, complete with shirtless Tango close-up for like 30 seconds in the first half. Ooh, how
1: much of a, a close-up was it? I mean, were they literally kind of doing slow-motion belly wobbles?
3: He was, was waist-up and he was definitely shirtless.
2: Let's go back for a second. Uh, can someone define philtrum?
4: <laughs> it's, that, it's your top lip. It's the bit between the bottom of your nose and your top lip, right in the middle, you know, when you get that little little dent, it's that thing. It's huge. Joss has got a
1: very big philtrum. It, it's actually an amazing Twitter thread if you follow it through, because there's a lot of memes. There's a lot of people with extremely large philtrums. And there's also some discussions about what your perineum is as well. <laughs> I haven't got one of those. <laughs> uh. no, no, no gap at all, Paul.
4: Hmm. No, not there's nothing there. Hmm.
1: Hmm.
3: So what do we take away from this game, other than we're probably still going to have to see way too much of Glenn Lubins, Jacob Butterfield and Dave Jones before the season mercifully crawls to a halt in the next three months.
0: Well, I mean, we have nobody else to play.
3: Yeah, it does seem that way.
2: Yeah, Are I mean we... our our second team lost two nil to a premier league team um on the on the road so i don't know you know obviously we didn't look great um but in two matches against a premier league team we we lost two now or 2-0 excuse me uh, so you know what does that say going forward i mean it's the cup it's it's a completely different story so you know hopefully we can instead of looking at this game look back at the first half of of Villa, and, and just say, look, as long as we play with some pace in the midfield, um, it, you know, and don't play against the referee that, that hates us, then, you know, we'll be fine. We'll, we'll stick to the middle of the table. Uh, I, I refuse to believe we're in a relegation battle at this point. I think that, um, I just think that we have, uh, our players are good, just good enough to get by this season these guys that we have in now they're just good enough to get by and that's all i'm gonna expect i expect a few more draws going forward i don't be surprised to see a six nil loss sprinkled in there somewhere but uh overall i think i think we're gonna be okay i think we're gonna have a couple months for everyone else to, to heal and i think we're gonna go in fresh to a a new promotion season next year
3: So the general sort of idea is, you know, you get 50 points, you're generally safe. Once they have 37 with it, 12 games to go. So yeah, 12 draws probably <laughs> gets them across the line. Can we still get promoted? Uh, let's see if it's mathematically, yeah, it is mathematically possible.
1: I think it's fair to say that HMS that ship has sailed. So um, no, no, you know. In,
0: until the mathematic possibility has gone away, we we keep that hope alive, James.
1: No, no, <laughs> no. no. Realists amongst our ranks will uh, will quite happily look to the horizon and say that that's too far to swim, chaps. We're going to have to. We're uh, still still we somehow go seven points clear
3: of the relegation spots because the league's been that bad this year. Granted, I don't think we've actually beaten any of the teams behind us. <laughs> which is part of the reason Um, that uh, they're in 17th. Results
1: tonight as well. So I think, um, I think did, did Hull and Barnsley manage to cancel each other out? I mean, that, that kind of helped us out a little bit. And even that erratic of playoff chasing side, Sheffield, United managed to do us a favor having lost to Hull last week. They, uh, they beat Reading today. So yeah, I mean, the the seven point gaps there, but that that can close pretty quickly as you get into April.
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's the one thing we, uh, or one bright spot we do have this season. We have, Sheffield United to to root against uh getting out of a playoff spot i don't I don't even want to see them contend for promotion, so you know every week i get to I get to root against them
3: Well, we can uh help that cause out by getting absolutely trounced against Bristol City this weekend, which we'll come on to later in the show. but for now, we'll take a break and we come back. We have a special extra large edition of dispatches from American Soccer. As promised, it's now time for Dispatches from American Soccer. And we start with the big news of the week, which is that the North American Soccer League is no more. This is a bit of a contentious bone between our various co-hosts so for some thoughts on this we'll first turn it over to paul owen
4: uh yeah i suppose the, the, the entry point this week somebody mentioned in our whatsapp group was they had spotted that the nasl wasn't going to be competing uh, in 2018 uh it's very true they're not they they uh it was actually actually all started last september where they the us soccer federation ussf refused to grant them their division two designation because as a league they'd not met the uh, second tier standards so the game in this country has certain sort of set standards much like in you know in in Britain as well where you have to hit meet certain uh, you know criteria to be able to survive in a in a a division Um, it's true here there's first division second division third division and then fourth technically which is everyone else and NASL have been competing um, as a a division two designation since it's kind of uh when it was reformed in um, 2011, I think it was, wasn't it? It's actually quite recent. But some of you'll probably recognise the name, and it is. It's the kind of a new, new version of the old, and, and probably the first or strongest, most famous uh, professional um, football league in, in the United States from the 70s, 60s, late 60s, 70s, 80s folded in 84 and reformed a little bit later on but unfortunately they've failed to meet the designation and and as much as they've tried they've lost some of their clubs to usl which is competing as a division two designation and uh, sadly they've not been able because only got like two or three clubs at the moment um not been able to uh get a a season together this year so they Going to regroup in 2019 and see what happens. Obviously, there's a lot of legal stuff that's been going on, uh, but unfortunately, they uh, they uh, failed to uh, sort of overturn this they had an injunction out, but it, it, it uh, didn't work. So, unfortunately, yeah, there's no NASL in 2018. That's a little bit of potted history.
3: I think I went to one NASL game. 'Cause I wanted to see uh JJ when he was playing for Indie Eleven. So I trekked oh, out right. to uh Hofstra University on the Long Island Railroad. Yeah. After right. seeing a how, Wednesday how, game how that morning your... too. How was your experience that day, Jeff? Um it was no, it was like October. It was the fall season. Uh and it was probably about forty degrees and windy. It was not that pleasant.
1: Yeah
3: on a number of levels and like it's you know it's a college soccer field with metal bleachers and jj I mean, I came guess on in like the 75th minute of the sub we didn't even start he did catch me in my <laughs> sheffield wednesday shirt and gave me a thumbs up though so there was that at least
0: i mean it's it's in a lot of ways the everybody who's been paying attention could tell you that this announcement uh was it today or yesterday um has been has been coming for quite a while um the nasl 2.0 um has not really for the past few years caught fire quite in the way that they thought that they would and they were competing against uh an artist well they were their stated goal was to compete against uh major league soccer um almost from the outset and their formation was Uh, kind of contentious in the first place. They split off um, a number of the existing USL, or actually what was called the USL Pro League, back in uh, the early 2000s. And so they've they've kind of had a, I mean, the league as a whole has had a very, very, I don't even know what the word is, but like strong stated aim to be, you know, a Division I league uh, as soon as they could get it made a lot of very strange decisions in that in that pursuit so it's it's not really i guess it's not really a surprise to anyone but um i guess if you know for our listeners that aren't following the, the ins and outs of soccer in this country um it might come as a surprise um but yeah i'm not i'm not really sure what else we can add to it it's uh it's a terrible shame for the people who work for the clubs you know they clearly did what they could to to put a good product on the field. and it, you know ultimately, I think the 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 deck was stacked against them in in certain ways um, in that they were competing in either markets with established teams or trying to establish new markets, and that's not easy to do. We've seen several, several clum- uh, clubs in this country fold over time. Um, it's because it's it's hard to create a new you know, team spirit, or or get a get a city behind a team with nothing there to begin with. So, yeah.
3: I mean, I guess as someone who doesn't follow this particularly closely, how much of this is, uh, you know, sort of politics and sort of you know, putting the the finger on the scale for the USL from sort of the top USSF brass.
0: Mm, I I don't think there's much. Finger scaling I mean these are these are clubs that are trying you know you're you're trying to create a market for a sport in a place where it doesn't exist and that is you know that is not easy uh, while this is a very large country with a lot of people in it there are a lot of other sports that take a lot of the entertainment error and just suck it right up in in various different places and uh, in various different ways and various different seasons too. So it's not surprising that a, a new, um, a new sport team is not going to immediately have a draw. Like even their, their one success story, you know, they, they picked up, they bought the, I can't remember the name of the guy who who bought the New York cosmos rights and image rights and team history and, successfully relaunched the New York Cosmos with, you know, they got Pele to show up and, and yeah, I don't think they got Beckenbauer because I think he's been dead for a little while. But, yeah, they did everything they could. They hired Raul to be their Academy director. You know, they did all kinds of neat stuff and it just, you're, it's just not easy. It's just not a... I don't think... I, I, I know that there was something... There's a lot of money coming in from traffic sports, who um, people will remember were part of the FIFA indictments from from last year. Um, so there's a, there's if there's a hint of shadiness in in the whole thing, it's certainly been on the, the side of the um, executive structure there, and and I think that I, that I I can't remember exactly who it was who. Uh, got pulled up on this, but like, yeah, I mean, I I don't, I don't think the USSF has necessarily a lot to do with how these clubs were run on a day-to-day basis and how, uh, how they got, how they dug themselves into the hole they're in or they were in.
4: So I have a very different uh, opinion to Luke, uh, on this, this issue. And, um, Going back to the uh, the question, Jeff, of whether there's a finger on the scale, I think there's not just a finger, but two very big fat thumbs. Um, you know, the, the game in this country is, you know, has been, uh, you know, has had a torrid kind of growth. You know, and Luke's right in a in a in a country that has a very particular and insular approach to its sports um you know games that aren't really played anywhere else in the world um that kind of works you know when you have an insular connection to universities that feed talent you know and so it goes so there's models and I think that you know the, the NASL uh, had its had its shot back in the 70s and you know as Luke said they've kind of like hit it with the uh, the kind of the you know the you know the, the uh, ECG machine and uh, you know, trying to blast it to, to shock it back into life and it it it, it, it had failed and, and the MLS was born out of those those ruins you know and put in certain protections to stop what, what had happened to NESL NS- what had happened was that they'd overloaded with stars they'd tried to grow too quickly they had a, a, a huge wage bill that they couldn't support there was a pretty deep dark recession in the early 80s and things weren't very rosy and the whole thing kind of collapsed under its own weight. So MLS, MLS was born out of, you know, out of that failure and uh, attempted to, you know, build a brighter future and did succeed for, you know, over 20 years. And I think the, the accusation now is that the MLS being propped up by sports United marketing, which is its kind of commercial marketing wing and, and business arm um, are increasingly taking a firm stranglehold on the game um, and NASL and some of those clubs, you know, that, that, and and the, the removal of the sanctions in support of USL is just seen as, whether it is or isn't, is isn't really, really is, isn't really the point. I think that um, what's happening in this country is that there's a model that's a closed insular approach to the game uh, that isn't working. And MLS is a is kind of a fake construct of the game. It looks like f- football, but it's really not um i'd point to you know all to 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 kind of look into that that statement there and and mls is have a look at this mls is one company all of the players are employed by one company called mls and paid out of new york headquarters they're not clubs there's one company so they're they're like employees in a in a in a group within a company um it's a closed league um you know they try to they try to recruit from Uh, universities, but university play by the NCAA rules. There's another reason why, you know, the talent's not there. Um, The the university teams play a fall game, a very limited season. They have unlimited substitutions. So talent coming out of universities is not not good enough. The NCAA, as you know, kind of has a huge stranglehold on controlling students and its talent doesn't pay them anything, doesn't look out for them necessarily. It's a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar business. So... The whole thing stinks, you know, you've got you've got the NCAA kind of locking out the the, the ability for soccer players to succeed in the country. You've got MLS and, and now soccer united marketing that are earning billions of dollars through licensing the, the TV rights, but the quality in the MLS and in in turn USL is suffering. So the game in this country's been left behind. You know, and then also you've got a hugely diverse community here of soccer t- clubs playing from all walks of life and backgrounds Um, but because the country has a youth game which is pay to play no one can afford it so the youth game in this country is supported by a white middle class population uh, pretty much only so it's very very difficult for anyone to break in Um, so you're seeing clubs you know disappear every week I'm seeing you know small local clubs some with very deep histories that are just not able to survive anymore it's very sad, um, you know, and I'm, I'm certainly on the other side of the, the fence here and wish that U- U- USSF um, would change its rules now. Now that MLS has established some sense of stability, I wish they would open the game by introducing promotion relegation and, and allowing these clubs to become independent and, and grow within their communities, not to Sorry. be controlled as a business.
0: Sorry Paul, I just is is major league soccer failing or is it succeeding? Because you said earlier that soccer in this country is is failing as an institution, but then you just said major league soccer as now is a stable should be opened up. So I just want to
4: so it's it's stable from a financial perspective because people are falling over themselves to try and buy a franchise for 150 million dollars that no one can but, justify why that's 150 million dollars. People are paying it because when you get a when you get a seat at the board on MLS, you have a club. That club, in inverted commas, is also a seat on the board and ownership of Soccer United Marketing. So you then also transfer your profit from the 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 uh, rights of the game. In this country, now let's be clear, it's the rights to the, the men's national team, women's national team, uh, Paralympic, Olympic teams, and all professional soccer, including all friendlies that are aired on all TV channels, whether that's Man United playing Barca or any South American, plus the, the Mexican League. Think of the money that's in all of that, the, the, that broadcast. That's why people want an MLS club. They don't want it to play in the league they don't care about that. No, There isn't one single so-called club in MLS that has a development side. They outsource there, all the rest of their squad to USL. There is no development league. There is no, there, there, no internal structure.
0: There, there are several development academies run by many of the major league soccer teams. There are developmental players as young as 16 that have been signed in the past three years. Of
4: course there are. Of course there are because it's a football league. Um, Yeah, you know, of course there are, but that isn't having having again an exclusive academy isn't where talent comes from. It comes from grassroots communities. Okay, and again, look at the look at the uh, diversity profiling of a lot of these players. Uh, It's incredibly narrow. And then also on top of that, any of the the recent talent that's been coming through any of these professional structured academies uh, have all been going abroad. Uh, even this week three more players that are graduating don't want to play in this this league because they don't recognize it as a quality league. They worry that their talent would be lost if they don't get out of the country quickly. You know, which is absolutely no state for the game to be in.
0: I'm I'm not so sure that that's the reason that they're leaving. I mean, we don't know the individual circumstances of each player and the Lure of playing in Europe is worldwide I mean players from all over the world go to play in Europe for a lot of different reasons you can't say universally that every player that leaves a development academy from the states to go to Europe is going because they don't think the game here is played at a high level
4: Uh, no but the top three talent have all said themselves they do not want to be left behind in their career so they are they don't want to play in MLS
0: who are I'm, these I'm, top three specifically?
4: Uh, Christian uh, Pulisic, uh, Weston McKinney. Uh, I can't remember the other guy um, who's also joined him, I think, at Schalke. Um, all three of them have said they don't want who, to.
0: Who play. all got brought to a top-level Bundesliga club as 17-, 18-year-olds. There aren't many 17-, 18-year-olds yeah. who would turn that down of anywhere not. in the world.
4: Right. So but th- there's, there's three people from a population in this country of 230 million
0: most of them don't play soccer most of them don't play soccer and never will i mean there are there are four major sports in this country that are bigger than soccer are as a whole like we are competing with a smaller pool uh,
4: bigger in what sense sorry
0: you said bigger, bigger, bigger in in what sense? In in yeah. revenue, and in, in pay scale, and TV rights, finances, like, right, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's I, not big,
4: it's not bigger. There's more people that are playing soccer than any other sport at the, the youth ages, up to twenty year olds not, in this country right now.
0: But not all more
4: youth. than basketball, more than baseball, more than football.
0: But how many it, youth players are going to go professional?
4: Well, not many, but the point is if you have an open league where any club can, can climb through the pyramid and become as successful as possible with open market conditions, to, to use an American term, uh, you'll have a much stronger pyramid. If you just secure at the top and close the doors like NFL does, you have a closed system which only allows the the exclusive viewing, and it controls the money. That's not the way the game should be played.
0: But controlling the money is exactly what how the Premier League was started like this we are not the only country to construct our sports entertainment this way.
4: Uh, yes you are, but the point of the point is that look at the money and the power in a league like the Premier League or Le- Liga MX or La Liga or, or Ligue 1 or Serie A. They're all open Bundesliga. Yes there, there's money, of course it's a football pyramid, but it's open and it's free and it's structured to you know to, to would, have the very, I, very best. I, of I don't it.
0: I don't think they're necessarily as open and free as you think. I mean, it takes. So, Luke. So, Luke, are
4: you telling me that you are very happy with MLS as a, as the league as it is? You think it's a representation of the the game in in the world, and you think that the top quality of of the game in this country stands shoulder to shoulder with those in the rest of the world?
0: I would rather have I would rather have a team to root for than have a team that just learned today that. It's league isn't happening this year. And the lesson of the NASL from the 80s was that if you try to put too much in too quickly, you wind up with nothing. And as a, as a young sports fan in this country at that time, not having any kind of professional football at all to watch really kind of dampened my interest in the sport as a whole. So, yes, I know that there are problems in the way that it's constructed, and yes, I know that, like, these things take time, and these things take people who actually care about what they're doing in positions to do the right thing and not just throwing money at a problem and hoping that it fixes it. And I think that while the U.S. Soccer Federation maybe hasn't always been as open and always been as honest as they could, I think there's not a single football authority in the world that you could say that there isn't a single one that you couldn't also say that about i think that the federations that run uh football always seem to wind up in some kind of trouble at some point so yes i agree with you that there are changes that could be made but i think that the the one solution that has been suggested over and over and over and over again, it doesn't seem any more likely now than it did five, ten years ago. And in fact, like the more we try to push it as an issue, I think the more people kind of shut down and the less they want to hear about it. I guess that's all.
4: Well, I totally disagree. I think that you know the the game is ready for promotion and relegation. It's ready to be a, a naturally growing sport in this country
0: i think it the is a naturally the- growing sport in this country uh, yeah, it's just yeah. not going it's not gonna be bigger than the nba overnight and that's the only way you can in order to support that large of a structure you need way more revenue coming into the sport you need way more interest in it and that's the only way happening. to get way
4: more interest and the only way to get way more revenue is to open it up i don't MLS think that that's true though to charge an unjustified amount of money based on return from TV rights uh, to control a league. I mean, what? How what is are, it? Un,
0: what, how, if what's happening? W- Two hundred million. Well, if people are willing to pay it, how is it an unjustified amount of money?
4: Because if they're it doesn't able, support grassroots game it doesn't support no, community. It doesn't support black. It doesn't support. Hispanic communities it doesn't support kids that can't afford it doesn't support local community it all it does is builds a, a, an exclusive elitist game of, of white middle class people owned by the richest billionaires in the country um, it's, it's a, a, fa- a fail and kill the game in this country that 's my issue with it you know I, I, as we so said, you, you would I, rather have
0: you'd rather have explosive growth with oh. a lot of a lot of possibility for failure
4: the game needs promotion and relegation there's successes and there's failures the problem is that no investor wants to to fail to be relegated nobody wants that they just want to lock in their investments you know and uh, play you know um you, you draw straws on who's going to be the champion this year you know like like nfl does you know, it's not the way the game should be. I mean, my son plays for the, the Brooklyn Italians. This is a club that in its history has won the Open Cup twice. You know, it's got absolutely no chance of doing that anymore. It's got limited yeah, results and, and dwindling and, and falling. It's being forgotten slowly. You know, clubs like that, that are part of the fabric of this country, are having the, the game taken away from them. You know, each year it becomes more and more exclusive you know, in but, the image of a Premier League that nobody else can kind of compete to, to be part of. I mean, we're Sheffield Wednesday fans. What, what would happen if we were no longer allowed to be promoted to the Premier League? What happens if we got locked into the championship forever? You know, it's not the way the game
3: should be. We obviously won't solve this tonight. <laughs> and this has been, I think, a, a good discussion, good debate to continue in sort of a larger format. We will have a owls americast u.s soccer special coming shortly which will go a little more in depth on a lot of these issues the recent ussf presidential election and things of that nature for now we'll take a break and wrap things up here with the usual wednesday news and upcoming match previews Wednesday news this week, as uh, it does appear that George Hurst is back in training. Uh, scored Ooh. for the under... Yeah, just, never heard of him, really. Last name sounds familiar. Scored with the under-23s this week after uh, not playing for seven months, which I guess is pretty impressive. Um, is he really back, Evan, or is this just uh, a... Let's call it a, a mutually... Beneficial cameo. Ah,
2: uh, it, it sounds, by all accounts, like he's back. Um, we do only have you know, three draws,
3: healthy strikers. <laughs> uh,
2: well, I, yeah, I think I think we're desperate. I think at this point, well, we'll open contract talks and, and kind of whether or not we we actually pay him what he wants. You know, at least open t- contract talks to get him back in the building. Um, yeah, we're absolutely desperate, but it sounds like. Uh, Josh you know Josh said he'll be once he's back match fit he'll be available for selection uh, and and he said it could come anytime so uh, he obviously played well at the u23s people uh, this is unconfirmed people like to talk but um, I had heard I had seen some reports that he traveled with the team today um, and was on the the team bus so uh, hopefully hopefully things are going well and he's getting along you know if to be honest if a guy can can go that long without playing and come back and play for the u23s and score and also draw a penalty i am excited about his um his future with the club so hopefully we can get something done and at least see him in the first team at at some point this year
3: i don't think anyone really doubts the talent here james but is this a ever going to be a long-term fit at this point george yeah
1: if you'd ask me that Two weeks ago, I'd have said said no. I mean, the the two parties seem so far apart that the idea of reconciliation was just kind of you know pipe dream. Um, from what I understand, uh, there's two things going on. One, which is a a change of stance or a, a kind of reapproach to the stance from the club side, um, which is being driven, I think, by more of our kind of I uh, see uh, commercial management, which is good. Um, the other. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it comes down to the player wanting to play, and and you know both of those are mature responses from the two parties, and they seem to have brought about a, a very positive resolution to get you know a seventeen, eighteen-year-old lad playing football, which is exactly what he should have been doing all year. Um, you know whether this leads to George Hurst signing a new contract and staying at Sheffield Wednesday is probably low odds. I think you know probably the more likely resolution is that he gets some game time and. Uh, and he's able to get the move that he you know his advisors have been looking for in the summer. And you know maybe Wednesday get a better price for him on the open market than if it goes to the tribunal. but i I think the fact that he is playing, the fact that he will feature in Wednesday's plans for the remainder of the season, the fact that uh, you know a young lad with great potential is is going to be part of football again, is it's just it's common sense, and it's it's really good to see because it's whatever drove the dispute, you know, and I'm sure there were probably faults on both sides, but, it was just inconceivably stupid for, for that, that boy not to be playing playing on a regular basis. So I'm, I'm delighted to see him back in training. I think, you know, not only did he score, by the way, for the 23s, he won the penalty that Almanabdi scored. So we had this bizarre situation where Almanabdi and George Hurst scored for Wednesday within like five minutes of each other last week. I mean, um, we've not got something else to celebrate this season. Why not celebrate that? eh? So, uh, yeah, for now, things are good. Who knows where we go in the summer? But it's better than it was.
3: Speaking of Almanabdi, he was back in the squad today at Swansea, but replacing him on the injured list is Ross Wallace, who might need knee surgery and might be out for the season, Paul. Yeah, it's just uh, you know, it never ends. When
4: it ra- when it rains, it pours, as they say, right? It's uh, it's just shocking, isn't it? Um, you know, and he, again tonight we uh, we we're all on tender hooks, aren't we? Because uh, Jack Hunt went off as well, so we don't really know the extent of that either. So, yeah, you know, I think uh, Ross Wallace, uh, to his credit, said he felt something early on in the game, but you know, he stayed on the, He stayed on, stayed on at Millwall, finished the game, and it was really the following day when uh, they they kind of did some tests and it was his knees gone and that's probably the end for this campaign and uh, you know contractually and uh, his age now and given the the performance this season I think that could be it it's kind of sad in a way that that might be the end of him and one, one thought that crossed my mind is we never actually had a song for him did we there was no Ross Wallace song I think we could all put together a cracking uh, highlight reel but there yeah. is no there's no song for Ross, there is Ross one Wallace on YouTube. I don't know is there is it just all
0: the Graveheart right, well. theme song <laughs>
4: Something racist, probably, yeah.
3: <laughs> he did score Scot- a... Scottish racist. <laughs> yeah,
4: Scottish racist.
3: So with... Uh, I will just point out, with Jack Hunt going off uh, injured in the Swansea game, uh, off the top of your head, how many of Wednesday's starting 11 from the Wembley game against Hull are currently available for selection? Does anybody have a guess? Oh, Christ quickly, none.
4: It yeah, I don't think can't think of any. Big Dave, one. Yeah, uh, he
3: wasn't. He was on the bench. He came on as a sub. Okay, starting eleven. All right.
2: Um... I Wait, can't think of No, it'd be it'd be none.
4: There, yeah, is, one, there is one.
3: Luvens, and Padil. Luvens and Padil. Yes, the two. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Wow. Every wow. single other player, all still. Under contract for Sheffield Wednesday, to be clear. None of them available really? for selection. Yeah. From the starting eleven. Yeah. We haven't
0: we haven't lost a single one of that starting eleven.
3: Wow.
1: you've got to remember that, are... that that was Carlos's favorite yeah. eleven, not just starting eleven. I mean he was you know, he's on record when he took the Swansea job of saying that his biggest problem was that his favorite eleven weren't fit. And they were still the same favorite <laughs> eleven from Wembley. But you know, bring bring it back to Ross Wallace just for a second. So yeah, I think our fan base can, can grumble at times, but after the news came out about his injury, there were a few tweets which were kind of, you know, saying exactly what Paul just said, which is actually just really sad. You know, it's a player who's, who's actually done some great things for us, you know, this season, not perhaps his finest hour, but, you know, maybe his career at Wednesday is going to kind of uh, fade out. I don't know what that was. That, sounds, that sounded like bagpipes. <laughs> it's more it's more Scottish racism. Um, you know, and uh, and, you know, here's Ross Wallace who... You know, he needs a bit of a testimony doesn't he he, need, he needs more of a hallmark because some of the videos you know particularly the goal against um, Brighton in this semi-final before that Wembley game I mean what a moment and it's not even two years ago you know how quick how quick fortune's change in football that we're here now talking about Ross Wallace in these terms when you know that that guy fired us twice in two games against Brighton to within an inch of the Premier League and mm. uh, it, it's, it's kind of devastating that he's come to this and you know, at some point, when we're safe and secure, we've got those twelve points. We've got to we've got to give him a proper send off because he deserves it, especially for his kind of impudence and uh, and cheekiness um, throughout the time that he's been at Wednesday. Yeah, I also was just going to take a second to to uh,
4: talk a little bit about the injuries more broadly, and uh, you know I thought it only right and proper that we remember. Remember those missing in action. Kieran Westwood, Tom Lees, Liam Palmer. Houston van Aiken, Jordan Thornley, Jack Hunt. Sam Hutchinson, Barry Bannon, Kieran Lee, Ross Wallace. Stephen Fletcher, Gary Hooper. Fernando Forestieri, Marco Mattaish, and of course, behind enemy lines, our very own Sam Winnell. Fifteen heroes. Fifteen heroes. M.I.A. But we will fight on, for never have so many expected so much from so few. We're all Wednesday, aren't we? It
3: was beautiful, fall i've shed a tear here
2: i've got a couple tears
3: changing (laughs) gears for a second uh there is some uh rosiness for one of our co-hosts james uh a bit of a financial windfall for you and your children it looks like
1: (laughs) what a transition jeff Mm. So uh, you, you you go from the marking of uh, of, of the many passings of uh, Wednesday injuries to, it's uh, like to a few a quid in hand. my back pocket. Yeah, um, well, it's not it's not really a quid in my back pocket. In fact, it's 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 British sterling that are going to leave my pocket at some point in the future that haven't left my pocket yet. So uh, so I guess I'm down anyway. But no, um, it was you know we, we talked last week about the new pricing situation at Hillsborough for the season tickets for next year and the uh, the five year season tickets that are going in kind of completely escaped my attention that the um the kids or really kind of the you know the under 17s under 11s um season tickets are extraordinarily good value at wednesday uh for for the next next season and certainly for the next five years so i worked out i've got two kids under five if i buy them both a five five year season ticket at the under 11 price it's like it's basically about 100 pounds like 150 dollars each for five years, which is like a quid a game or something ridiculous like that. Um, the only problem is I've got to get two five-year-olds to go to games without any supervision. So I've got a bit of uh, sort of, uh, well, and also the fact they've got to travel three and a half thousand miles for each game, which is probably a, another obstacle. But what an absolutely terrific uh, offer to, to the youth of of, of Sheffield and, and the area for those who aren't like me and living in new york with uh, with kids who can't look after themselves at football games i think that's uh, an absolutely fantastic deal and and we didn't highlight it last week so i think you know just kudos to the club for that pricing because that's that's a real step in the right direction for the youth of tomorrow maybe we'll uh maybe we'll have some uh, actual footballers to watch in uh, in five years time when we replace the, uh, the, the the lost generation that paul's just
3: commemorated i mean amazingly it's cheaper than just like stacking them into a trench coat and trying to get one adult ticket, probably.
1: That's like £2,000, which is the point <laughs> to which uh, we, we recognize that the, uh, the £105 deal wasn't quite as good as it sounded.
3: So now we look ahead to the matches to come. Bristol this Saturday. And James, uh, looking back, our most contentious of city profiles that you've done so far, I feel like
1: it's kind of a sad part of the second half of the season that we've pretty much profiled all the, uh, all the crap towns in, uh, in the championships. So, uh, so yeah we're, we're, we're back to Bristol where I was uh, regular listeners uh, and I'm sure there are one or two of you Will recall that I was I was fairly dismissive of Bristol on the basis of their uh, historic bus strikes and and general sort of uh, you know distant relationship with the rest of the UK. People pointed out that they were a great musical town and actually quite a nice university city as well. So, so fair play Bristol, well done you. Um, but yeah, we actually go away to Bristol this weekend to uh, to Bristol City. Um, I was uh, I was looking up a, a little bit of kind of you know seeing what the fan base is is thinking at th- this point in their season, and it turns out that they're. Uh, one of their preeminent blogs is called There's Only One Team in Bristol, which is not true because there's Bristol Rovers as well. So they're, they're a lying fan base. Um, it's kind of interesting times for us to play them, really. Uh, they've uh, they've just dropped out, out of the top six, literally this afternoon, as a result of... Um, the, uh, the Blunts win at, at Reading um, so despite Chris Wilder's protestations United are currently in the top six and Bristol have, uh, have dropped down to seventh and they, they've actually been on a pretty miserable run of form in, in the first two months of, of 2018 I think they've, um, they've only won once uh, since New Year's Day against QPR so you know what was really, really strong to start to the season and, and they were right there or thereabouts in the league has really kind of petered off um, in the last ten weeks or so so they're um, they're going to have to try and redouble themselves if they're going to get back into playoff contention. Well, you know it's um, a
3: good cure for that, James.
1: <laughs> exactly. Who's coming to town? Sheffield Wednesday. So if you follow that, that forum of uh, there's only one team in Bristol, you look at their predictions for the remaining however many, 12 games or so of the season, pretty much all of them think this is a nailed-on win. and they're, they're probably <laughs> I mean, you can't really argue with okay. that. <laughs> it, it's, it's hard to see, see past yeah. Bristol, maybe kind of uh, Bristol City. Regrouping themselves, and you know, in all fairness to them, you know, they're actually a well-run little club. Um, They've got, they've done a lot of work in, in you know, really improving their stadium. They've, they've put a good squad together the last couple of years, Um, and I think you know, uh, Lee Johnson is, is a promising manager. So there's a lot of, a lot of positivity around that team. They need, they need a win to get back into contention. Wednesday are scrapping to try and put a team together just let's hope it's the team that went out and played Villa with uh, with a bit more defensive solidity rather than the team that traveled to South Wales this midweek
3: we have a packed fixture schedule with all the rescheduled games from our aborted FA Cup run so another midweek game next week against Mick McCarthy's Ipswich Town <sighs> it
1: I'm I'm just sighing because why do we have to seriously? I mean, are we not all fed up at watching Wednesday at the moment? I don't mean that disingenuously, but it's it's kind of hard to raise yourself, isn't it? After an afternoon like we've all just sat through that Swansea game and just looked at it and gone, oh, will this season just finish? Will someone play the last post the way that Paul just uh, just did somberly, not just for our players but for the whole? goddamn horrible enterprise that is 2017-2018, and then you get slapped in the face not only with a long away day to Bristol on Saturday, but um, we've got a we've got a host Ipswich next Tuesday as well. We've got a miserable recent re- record against Ipswich, uh, the uh, the game that qualified us for the playoffs, not notwithstanding. But you know, big Dave scores against Ipswich in the last minute. That's a good sign. Um, we really owe Mick McArthur's one so you know maybe we can finally get our, um, ourselves in gear at Hillsborough and do that um, but then just as you're getting positive and you think like that you see that actually the speculation is that um, McCartney's out of contract in the summer and he's being linked with, linked with the Wednesday job so uh, he's right back <laughs> into misery so I don't know about you guys but I'm really looking forward to the spring when we stop playing these midweek games and just, just play a few games with a few players back and hopefully limp over the line to the back end of the season and have done with it and um, I've I've lost all my enthusiasm for these away day trips. There's, um, all the fun's gone out of it.
3: Do we have any other business?
4: Don't think we do. Do we?
3: Yeah, I don't think we do. So it's time for That's us to loud, si- loud, 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 resounding no. Mm-hmm. So it is time for us to sign off for episode twenty one. You visit us on the web at owlsamericas.com, email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter at Owls Americas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show, just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls AmeriCast, we ask that you rate and review the show. It helps more Wednesdayite finds our ramblings. Speaking of ramblers, you can leave the show a voicemail on our dazed and mumbled line at 1 401 307 1867. International rates do apply. You can dial it for free using Google Voice, which I know Patty has. I'm very disappointed we did not get a, uh, get a 2 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time drunk text. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James. I don't really have a question for you this week so I did not prepare this segment as well as I should have.
1: Do you want me to fill then, Jeff, in that case? Um, <laughs> I, I, can, <laughs> I can tell you where you can find me at Twitter. Uh, um which is at manhattan owl or i can tell you that uh, if paddy were still awake despite the fact that he's been drinking a heck of a lot of uh brew dog bottles in mexborough this evening he would um he would be vociferously ranting down our google voice telephone telling us just how shit david jones is and frankly i've lost the will to rebut that argument on the basis of his performance tonight so um
3: paddy you win evan is on twitter at ohio owl evan what is your current laptop battery status
4: Fallen asleep. We sure have has. lost it.
3: <laughs> it might be 0%. <laughs> <laughs> You've <got, what>, to <sighs> say what
4: Evan's battery power is, not his computer.
3: Paul is on Twitter, at the Wednesday. Paul, is, yeah, does I, your I, uh, cup boycott extend to the League Cup as well? Uh, yeah. All yes cups, no
4: cups. I'm, uh, I'm, li- I'm, literally, I'm literally just the League now. What about the Johnson Pink Trophy? Because that might be relevant soon. Yeah.
3: Yeah,
4: exactly. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you wish for, Jeff. Don't talk like that just yet.
3: Luke is on Twitter at lukeah. Luke, what is your coconut water brand of choice?
0: Um. Well, currently we have the Whole Foods brand, but I I kind of like the raw. It's, I think it's just raw coconut, the one that's like kind of pinkish, comes in a clear bottle.
3: I don't. I have no have frame it, of reference for
0: this, so. They have it at Pret, I think. So mm-hmm. it's everywhere in the city now.
1: Can Pret. I just say, Luke, briefly, you know, normally we spend time trying to kind of explain to our American listeners what the heck we're talking about when we talk about faulty Towers and Blackadder and Monty Python and all sorts of weird British comic references. I think this would be a good moment to translate for our British listeners that Luke is talking about water that is extracted from a coconut, which is bottled and sold in New York City for extremely high prices. See, this is funny because I think the first place I ever had
0: it was at Heathrow.
1: Yeah, Heathrow isn't actually Britain though. That's just a That's place in sounds... America oh. I didn't it's know that. the United,
4: United States, yeah. See, oh. Luke likes Luke likes things that that are like perfectly formed and and full like that. It's like he's like the Cypher in uh, the Matrix, so chewing his steak. So he likes his football as well. Fake. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh,
3: On that note, I'm on Twitter at JeffPatternostro. I'm supposed to update you all on the meetups here, but Patty is probably too drunk to update the website. I assume we'll be at Football Factory, at least, in the New York Owls this weekend for the Bristol City game with old Reliable Luke as our host. But until then, always look on the bright side of life, and we'll see you back here next week.